bear with because I'm going to try and use a digital mouse. Um, so I want to start the last part of chapter 4 of Ephesians, verses 17 to 31. And rather read them, I'm going to go bit by bit. Um, I've entitled this, How's Your Heart? You know, we live in a day of uh, well-men check and well-woman check. And, um, you know, it's always good to check your heart. But, you know, obviously we're talking of not just that thing that pumps, but how's your well-being? How how you doing? It says in verse 17. <laughs> Oh, go back. Uh, is that you or me? Okay. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Paul starts off this part of chapter 4 by saying, with the Lord's authority. And the Lord's authority in this term is a legal term. It's not just saying it's an idea or... As the famous picture, if it works, it's oh, alive. Oh, Captain Mannering, do you remember Captain Mannering? For those who've watched Dad's Army, there's um, Captain Mannering, and he says to old uh, <coughs> Sergeant Wilson, Wilson, get the men in order. And what does he do? Um, do you mind awfully standing in order if you want? A bit like Godfrey, if you remember Godfrey, very much fragile and bumbling along and Sergeant Wilson is a bit like that he he's got the authority but he doesn't want to use it and and Paul isn't saying that here he's not saying look if you don't mind awfully well jolly good and all that please any chance you can do it no chance Paul actually says with the legal authority I've been given by Jesus I say this to you Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. And Paul is saying, look, you know, you can't live like you used to live. He's not saying, look, do you mind? Do you mind awfully not living like you used to live? Paul is saying, with the Lord's authority, the authority that has given me a legal authority as an apostle... I tell you this, do not live any longer as the Gentiles do. As Christians, we're not to follow the whims of the flesh. We do so easily, you know, we toss to and fro with your emotions. And and yet Paul is saying here, you've got to consciously live different lives. If you're a Christian in a persecuted country, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, wherever... You know full well there's no such thing as compromise. There is no such thing as a Sunday Christian. You no way. Paul wouldn't even have to say that to the uh, you know, Pakistani Christians, Iranian Christians. They know full well there's no such thing as compromise. And I knew as a young Christian, one of the things they, I was told is your life has to be different. Now, I know sometimes what people did was, 
oh, well, I better not drink, smoke, and there was like a list. I better not listen to rock and roll, and I better listen to ACDC, all this, because that's wrong. And I don't think he's saying that. He's just saying that as you walk with God, your life will be proven that you walk with God by the fact it will change. We have to change. And he consciously, Paul is saying, you've got to change. You cannot live anymore like you used to. And yet we look at this world today. We look at so many, so many Christians. And there is this lukewarmness. We, we know. We, we're aware of it. It's been so clearly portrayed the last five, ten years. The church in the West is lukewarm. It is, as Paul has said, it's got a form of godliness, but it denies the power. Oh, it knows the word to a degree, and even that's questionable, but there's no power. And that's why we here, we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, knock us out. Holy Spirit, just do as you want to do, because we know full well that we don't want to be a lukewarm church. You know that. And the trouble is with lukewarm Christians, they become religious. And there's nothing worse than religion. Absolutely. I'm reading, again, um, Philip Yancey, one of the several books I'm looking at. Um, What's so amazing about grace? I've only got to about page 10, and I keep having to sit back and contemplate. And he talks about the religion without grace. He said, Jesus came and he said... um, The law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. And he said, the trouble is with the church. Truth is in the church, but there's no grace. They'll tell you what they think, but there's no grace. And and what happens is, with lukewarm Christians, they become bitter and twisted. They become angry, they become pious, they become self-opinionated. And then some end up with the vicar of Dibley faith, which is pretty useless. And reading the next few verses, which I'll come to in a minute, I've had to apologise to God, uh, as you do probably most days anyway, but on this occasion, it's something that's been festering for a while. Because I long, as probably you do, to see souls saved. Uh, and I, I did a degree in evangelism, I went to Bible college, I went to st- I've done street work, I've done door-to-door work, I've had people reject me, I've had people... But my heart has always been to see people saved. And over the years, I think my heart has got hardened to God. Because I'm saying, Lord, I've done everything. I've done everything. I've done what I thought was right, don't get me wrong. Healing on the streets, we used to do two and a half years. Can we pray for you? No, I'm okay. But you're in a wheelchair. You've got sticks. You, You can tell. No, thank you. I'm okay. And... I would remind God of his word. And I'd say, in your word, God, you say, you desire that no man should perish. And yet, I've witnessed thousands of times. I've prayed and prayed. I've talked to my daughter. As you know, my daughter and the issue she's had. I've sat with her. I've preached the gospel. I've I've done the three-minute gospel. I've done the half-hour gospel. I've done this gospel. It's all the same gospel, but just the techniques. Nothing. And a part of me would get angry with God. But God still loves people and he still desires that they'll respond. But Paul, in his next few verses, said, but many of them won't. Doesn't matter what you do. 
You see, as a young, as a young Christian, or oh, sorry, before I was a Christian, as a young lad, I had the same upbringing as my brother. Same upbringing. We went to church, brought up, you know, good, good kids by my parents, no problems whatsoever. And yet, I responded to God. And my brother rejected God. And what was the difference? We had exactly the same. Nothing different. And yet, at 16, my mum was going to say, you go to church till you're 16, then you can reject it. But please, at least wait till you're 16. 16, and one day, my brother's never set foot in a church other than hatch, match and dispatch. That's all. I was longing for the day of 16. And yet, when I was 15, I just responded to the call of God on my life. Same upbringing. He rejected, I accepted. Someone said, the same sun that shines on clay softens it or hardens it. And that was said about Moses and Pharaoh. Same upbringing. Same experiences to a degree. Moses chose, I'm going to follow Yahweh. And even through the ten plagues, all this sort of stuff that happened. You know, some people say, oh, God was punishing them. God was showing great grace to the Egyptians. And yet the same sun that shone on Moses softened him, hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And Paul in this chapter says this. God's non-Christians rejection of God is not due to God's rejection of them. It's their choice. When I've witnessed to my children and I've witnessed and you've witnessed and people say, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. Reading these next few verses, it's clear. It's their choice. They've consciously said, no, thank you. It says this, verse 18 to 19. And this is who we were before we found the Lord. Gentiles. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander. They, it's a choice. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity the reason why it's they 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 is because so many times and i think we've discussed this on a tuesday that if people recognize there was a god they knew they had to change their lifestyle if they instead of saying oh there might be a being up there if they recognize actually yes there is a god it demands a response i think instinctively people know that it demands a response and so it's easy just to reject and that was us. You know, we wandered far from the life God gave because we closed our hearts. We closed our minds. We had no sense of shame. We lived for lustful pleasures and eagerly practiced every kind of impurity. And they go, well, I didn't do that as a non-Christian. I didn't go for every kind of impurity. But we lived according to the instinctive nature of the old man. We may have had moral codes, but deep down, we did things that we shouldn't have done. We hardened our hearts. But there was something that made us turn to God. And Paul is saying here, they have had, Gentiles, the same prevenient grace. But they've chosen to say no. 
And Paul then goes in verse um, 20 to um, 18, sorry, 18 onwards. He describes the Gentile. It says, a Gentile, it's my, the mind's full of darkness. Full of darkness. Amplified version says this. They live according to the futility of their mind. That's the description Paul gave. Someone who doesn't follow God. He said their minds are full of darkness. Africa was once seen as the dark continent. We know that. And we know now it's not Africa. It's the West. There is so much ignorance of the things of God. Even the church is a biblical illiterate. But Paul is saying one of the descriptions of a Gentile their minds know nothing about God. They don't want to know about God. They choose. And this is a generalisation. I accept that. And then Paul then goes on and he says this also. They're alienated from God. And he describes that they choose to be alienated from God. Go back to my brother. He chose to say, I don't want the things of God. Thank you very much. It's not for me. And to be alienated means to say you've got to have had a relationship of sorts. So, you have an argument. Going great with each other. You have an argument. You don't talk. You're alienated. But you had a relationship. And what Paul is saying here, the Gentiles have chosen to say no. They've had a relationship. Now, God would have spoken to them through hymns, Sunday school, creation which we've been talking about on Tuesdays. But there has been a conscious decision by non-Christians to say, no, thank you. It's a conscious choice. So whereas I was blaming God for it, reading these, I've now come to realise their minds are full of darkness because sometimes they choose, I don't know about God. I've alienated myself from God. Bible says God's never left himself without a witness. But they've chosen to say no. And the other thing it says, a description of a Gentile, I've got a hardened heart. How many times you spoke to somebody, tried to share your faith, and there's that blank? There's that blank. It's not always, but there's that blankness. You know you're hitting your head against a brick wall. You know you're wasting your time. Fortunately, God's grace is so good that he won't give up on people. But he says one of the descriptions, according to Paul, is a hardened heart. In Yorkshire, nap. Knapsbury, there's a cave. And in this cave, somebody's hung a bowler hat from the cave roof. And over time, there's a drip, drip, drip of water on the hat. And this bowler hat has become calcified. It's become like a concrete, hard exterior about it. And that's what Paul is saying here. Non-Christians, through whatever reason, they've chosen to harden their hearts. And not only non-Christians, Christians too. We know that. I, when I was doing this this week, I realised how hard my heart has been to God. I've had to really say, Lord, you've got to soften my heart. Because you can forget. It's only when you sit down and you go, actually, my heart. My heart isn't very soft at the moment. There's some of the things of God. And I've had to really... And one of the prayers I just prayed there was, Lord, show me again your grace. Show me again how much you love me. 
But I thought, well, what's causes for a hardened heart? Well, we know that. Sin and rebellion. We know that. It goes without saying. Say to somebody in the world, and, and like they said to me when I was a, before a Christian, you want to, the Lord loves you, he's offered you salvation, he's died for you, and, and he's got so much for you. And you go, well, what have I got to give up? Well, God wants you to follow him. Yeah, but what have I got to give up? Because I actually enjoy what I do. And if you read some of the stories of Jesus, so often he came to people, challenged them, but they didn't want to give up what they had. And so sin, rebellion, it just hardens your heart. Psalm 95, the Lord said this to the Jews. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them. They are a people whose hearts turn away from me because they refuse to do what I tell them. Rebellion, sin, that's a great way of hardening your heart. Another one, cause of a hardened heart, unanswered prayer. I remember talking to so many people who aren't Christians and they go, I don't believe in God. What a waste of time. Why is that? Well, I prayed for my mother or my dad or whatever. Made no difference. And so the heart gets calcified bit by bit, drop by drop. Charles Darwin, I'm told, I read some time ago, had a faith of sorts. I don't know. Gary may tell me more. Had a faith of sorts. And he had a 10-year-old daughter who was seriously ill. And he prayed, God, I just ask that you'd heal my daughter. I know you can heal. And his daughter died. And that was another death knell on this man. And he hardened his heart. Now, if God was God with a little g, that's fine. Lord, I just ask that you could heal my daughter. But I know you're only a small God and you may be busy. And I understand that you might not be able to do it. But when God says, I am Yahweh, there is no other God but me. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I know all things, can do all things. And I still don't heal then that causes a hardness of heart. Sue said a few weeks ago, after all what she's going through, but God is still good. That is the soft heart. Not the hard heart said, well, what's the point then? And for so many Christians as well, unanswered prayer causes a hard heart, not only for the world, but that's another reason why Gentiles say, I don't want God because he's never answered my prayer. Unfulfilled promises via prophecy. That's for us. How many of us have had a prophetic word? It's never happened. <laughs> Not believing that again. And so when somebody comes to say, God's given me a word for you, your heart's already hard. A friend of ours, Steve and Ann Jones. Uh, some of you know Steve Jones. Um, I think he was 33 when he died. He and his wife had a prophetic word that they're going to be involved in ministry. Not long after, he dies, 33. Major impact on Gornal Village, that did. And I remember Anne saying to me, well, what about the prophecy? How many Christians' hearts are hard? Well, if God has told you to tell me and it hasn't happened, how can I trust him for anything after that? And people get a hard heart because of it. Another reason for a hardened heart, you compare yourself with others. 
I'm praying two hours a day. I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying. And yet him down the road who's doing none of it, God's blessing him massively. We, we, we're coming every week. We're praying, Lord. And Springs Church are having thousands getting saved. Well, not thousands. Having folks getting saved. What's the point? You've got to soften you know, your heart. Like the drip, drip, drip on the bowler hat. You can get a hard heart. This is from Tuesdays. Believe and later mocked. And it was a great little image on Tuesday where you got the Noah tugboat. For those who don't come on the Tuesdays, and I think most of us do, uh, Noah and his ark, the little tugboat, and you've got the giraffe with his head out, smiling while the world around is dying. And then you believe that, and then you go to university or college or work, because there are intelligent people out there. And they go, what a load of rubbish. How can that? And they come up with scientific evidence and you stand there looking stupid because you've been told it from a Sunday school point of view. Or contradictions in the Bible. There's no contradictions. Yes, there are. Because the Bible is an evolving book over 4,000 years. And God revealed himself to Abraham that differently than he did to Isaac. And he differently did to Jacob. Because it's an evolving you know, revelation of God. But I heard one person say they went to university. And they, somebody said, what about the contradictions? There isn't any. Yes, there is. No, there isn't, because my pastor said there wasn't any. And yet there, there are. And so that person rejects God. And their heart becomes hardened. And as a result of these, and many others, church is one of the greatest ones. My dad, you know, he grew up in church, went to church, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think slowly over the years, things just whittled him down. And the pastor used to preach about the sin of having a new carpet. The sin of having a new car. The sin of having a new holiday abroad. And he just knew he was just beating me. Beating me Sunday after Sunday. And one day one woman came up to me and said, it's about time you had your hair cut. You look a mess. And he said, you know what? You can keep church. And he never went back to church again. Now, we know, again, reading that book, What's So Amazing About Grace, talks a lot about graceless churches. And, and we've just really got to be careful how we live our lives. And that brings into unforgiveness. We have to forgive. Unforgiveness is the greatest way of having a hardened heart. And this, some of these are what the world, as Paul describes, their hearts. And some of it is because of us. And some of it, we've got hardened heart because of circumstances. So we have to be very careful. And the result of this, you know, we just think, well, what do we do, Lord? And go back to Paul Renner. I think it was Paul Renner or Joel Renner, one of the, one of the Renner boys. Not the Renner as in the Renner, you know, the Renner as in Rick Renner. He said, I don't pray for the salvation of people. I pray that their hearts will soften. And I've thought about that so often. I don't pray, Lord, save my kids. Lord, soften my kids. But Lord, soften me first. Because hard art is no good. And then he goes on to verse uh, 20 to 24. He said, but that isn't what you learnt about Christ. That's what Paul is saying to us. That lifestyle is not what we've learnt about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, and deception instead let the spirit 
Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul is saying we've made a conscious choice to follow Jesus. We, fought, we learnt about Jesus. We, 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 some, one day we said yes to him. We've learned about him in the word, through worship songs, all that sort of stuff. And he said, that old way that the Gentiles live, and we lived, he said, consciously you've got to throw it off. Discard it. He talks about the word corrupted. Paul says this, um, your old sinful nature is corrupted. He said, there's nothing good in us. There is nothing good in us to get us right with God. You've got a computer. It's great until you get that virus. And once you've got that virus, that computer is corrupted. And sometimes it's no good for anything. I started to ask the question. I know I often get on these rabbit trails. When did sin come into the world? I don't know if you can read that, it's a bit small. I was thinking, when did sin? At what point did sin? What was, when did Eve sin? The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, according to Genesis 3, that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? <laughs> of course we may eat fruit. From the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. <laughs> you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that he would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it too. You know, at what point did sin enter this world? Three stages to, to, to bring the, the concept of sin. First of all, iniquity. You often hear the word iniquity in the Bible. Because we often think sin is sin. Lord, forgive my sin. But oftentimes you'd hear of, of prayers or psalms, Lord, forgive my iniquity. What's the difference between iniquity and sin? Well, iniquity, Eve saw the fruit. Iniquity is when your behaviour is becoming crooked. It's called having the hook in the eye. You see something, oh, turn away. So it's not good. Iniquity is when you see something and you start to ponder a bit more. You start to hang about with it. I put David and Bathsheba. There's David on the roof of his palace. And there's Bathsheba bathing. He sees her. He should walk away and go, I'm not going there. But no. Iniquity is now in his heart. Because he's looking. He's pondering. He's thinking. All my men are at war. I'm the king. I can do what I want. And the thing as well with Eve, I don't think Satan said to her, Eve, look the true. Oh, she saw it, she took, she ate. I think she must have thought, that looks nice. She goes away, ponders it, 
thinks about it. And iniquity is now coming. Eve took the fruit. She's not eating it yet. God says don't eat it. She took it. Transgression. That means breaking trust with God. She's moved on in this stage. David, in his heart, he wanted Bathsheba. He then got his men to bring her to him. He took, come into my room. Lastly, Eve ate the fruit. And we often use the word sin as, that's it, but sin is missing the mark. When he had sexual relationships with Bathsheba, yes, he sinned. Now, can you say, well, iniquity and transgression, that didn't matter. Well, he did, because it started from iniquity. And as I said, many a scripture says, Lord, forgive my iniquity and my transgressions. So it's a sequence. How do we change? And I will come in to explain a little bit more of that in a few minutes. Because what Jesus said, when he came to this world, he said, you've heard it say, but I say this. You've heard it say that you shouldn't murder. But I say, if you're angry in your heart, it says murder. You say, or you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. And on and on. You see, God's motive or judgment and standards are not based always on our actions. Sometimes... A lot of times it's based on our intentions. So Eve ate. David ate. But it started with the mind. And so what does he say here? How do we change? Verse 23. Let the spirit renew your thoughts. Well, I haven't stolen. Yeah, but you thought it. That's iniquity. I haven't taken Yeah, but you thought it, that's iniquity. And a matter of fact, I've gone beyond iniquity, I've took it. Uh, In law, theft is to to appropriate property with the intention to permanently deprive. I take this, I want it, I like it. Iniquity. Take it with me. Transgression. But I'm going to give it back. According to scripture, intention of the heart is as bad as doing it. But he said, how do we change? Paul says in Ephesians 4.23, let the spirit renew your thoughts because it all starts with your mind. Even verse 18, it says non-Christians' actions are also directed by their minds. Sort your mind out and the rest will follow. Bill Johnson says this, sometimes by listening to the wrong things, and listening comes into the mind, the mind becomes an action, We expose ourselves to an emotional journey we weren't designed for. Careful what you listen to. Careful. And I'll finish with this. So Paul then finishes in Ephesians 4. Instead of, what about? Sometimes we read scripture as if it's prescriptive. You shall do this or else. And I read this scripture from 25 to 31. Paul is saying, look, instead of doing this, what about doing this? Instead of... Instead of lying, 
This is what you did as a non-Christian. This is what the Gentiles do, whose hearts are hard to God. Well, I've told you the difference between sin, iniquity and transgression starts with the mind. Let the Spirit renew your mind, but change your actions. So instead of doing what you used to do, lie, what about telling the truth in love? Telling the truth in love, not just telling the truth. That's what he says. Or he says, okay, instead of stealing, what about getting a job? And actually, then you can help somebody who's struggling. Practical application. Instead of using foul language, what about encouraging? We all need encouraging. We need encouraging. You know, you prepare every Sunday, Tuesdays. We try to encourage people. We try to encourage. It's so easy to use foul and abusive language. That was a load of rubbish. Didn't you go on again? What about encouraging? Verse 31. What about, instead of, instead of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, behaviour, what about? Instead of doing what you used to do, and the world does because he doesn't want to know God, what about being kind, tender-hearted and forgiving? Old Rick again, he turns up everywhere. He says this, look, wake up each morning and declare, you've got the mind of Christ. Determined to act like you, like who you truly are in the spirit. We're a new creation with the nature, character, desires and behaviour of Jesus Christ. And I finish by just saying, and how's your heart? Amen.